You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. So Abraham then comes to this conclusion. If I have to sacrifice my son Isaac, whom I love, well then taking into consideration who God is and all that he's promised and all that he's done in the past, God will raise him again unto life. Whatever. Gang, that's faith. That's what faith is. That's what faith looks like. Believing God and acting upon it. It's probably safe to say that God's never asked you to put your child to death. That may be the most gut-wrenching thing for a parent to even consider. And some people might think that this shows that God is cruel. But you'll hear Pastor Mike teach today about the fact that God sees everything from beginning to end. He has a plan, and he knows the best course to get to his goal. God loved Abraham and Isaac and he knew his plans for their lives, just like he loves you and knows the best course for your life. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, as he begins his message, Faith Proved and Tested. the problem, the real dilemma, is not simply Abraham loved Isaac. We know that he did. But what God had promised concerning further blessings, that is the Savior, salvation, all of which were to come through Isaac. That's the issue. That's the question that Abraham is wrestling with. Okay, so How does he reconcile this in his understanding? Okay, so put yourself for a moment in Abraham's shoes. Well, I guess, and it would have been real easy for Abraham to come to this conclusion, but it would have been the wrong conclusion. You know, I guess God is erratic at times. Have you ever felt that way? You know, in the way that God does things. You know, I kind of, I just feel that God is sort of like at times erratic. I feel at times that God is double-minded. I feel at times God kind of wavers from one plan to another. I feel as if times God isn't sure about what he really wants to do. Have you ever felt that way? And by the way, you would be absolutely wrong in coming to all of those conclusions. But you see, Abraham's experience in the past everything leading up to chapter 22, everything in his experience with God 
And the birth of Isaac now taught him otherwise. So within himself, he thought God must have a resolution, and in due time, he will disclose it. Now, this would be a good position to assume, but for any of us, if you get to that place where you're kind of at a crossroads and you don't know what's going on and you can't figure out, you can't make heads or tails of what God is doing or wants to do within your life, you're waiting for the promise to be fulfilled, you need to take that same stand and position as did Abraham. God must have a resolution, and in due time, he will disclose it. That's your stance. That's your position, which, by the way, is harder of the two solutions to accept. But Abraham's experience led him in that direction. You see, Abraham, think about it here, acted in a manner consistent with his knowledge of God. And what was his knowledge of God? Through his experience. Well, and by the way, it's the very same thing for all of you and for me as well. Like, for example, God is my friend. Do you know that? Do you know that by experience and through experience? Hey, listen, God is your friend. The Bible tells us that he'll stick closer to us than a friend. The Bible also tells us that his ways are not my ways. And aren't you glad? And isn't it so true? We're faced with a situation, and then rather than just simply waiting on the Lord, or we've waited on the Lord long enough now, and now we're going to begin to counsel God on the way that he should go about fulfilling his promise, right? And we give him our blueprint. But the truth of the matter is God's ways are not our ways. And I think the reason why he circumvents doing things our ways is just to let us know that he is God. You know, we have all of these, listen, God, this would be a great and easy way for you to get it done. And we lay it out. Here's the first step, here's the second step, the third step. He avoids all of those steps. He does it a completely different way. And then when we experience the completion of the fulfillment of his promise, it blows us away and we begin to, man, I never even thought of that. Those weren't a part of the three steps that I gave you in my blueprint. Just to let us know that his ways are not our ways. So Abraham knew through experience, everything leading up to chapter 22, that God's ways were not his ways. But then also, he realized that particularly through the birth of Isaac, remember now, his wife had already gone through menopause. Praise the Lord. Abraham realized that all things are possible with God. And so, if I have to sacrifice, now listen, he's rationalizing these things in his mind. And I would encourage you to do the same thing when you're faced with the situation. You see, there's a difference between, I want you to think about this. There's a difference between exercising faith and working out faith. Have you ever heard anyone offer that as an explanation before? Really, think about that. There's a difference between exercising faith and working faith out. Working faith out looks like this. I'm trying to rationalize it in my mind. I'm going back to my past experiences, what God has done for me in the past. God is my friend. God is all-powerful. There's no restraints with God. His ways are not my ways. This is the way that I'm working faith out in my mind and in my heart. You see, that's what we're talking about here. I think that this is 
very important and significant. So Abraham then comes to this conclusion. If I have to sacrifice my son Isaac, whom I love, well, then taking into consideration who God is and all that he's promised and all that he's done in the past, God will raise him again unto life. Whatever. Gang, that's faith. That's what faith is. That's what faith looks like. Believing God and acting upon it. And that's exactly what he did. Let's go back to our text. Notice, without any hesitation, verses 3 and 4. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. You see that there? Now that brings us to our third point, and that is faith in bloom. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Faith in bloom. Now, how hard was it for Abraham to obey? Yes, he implicitly trusted the Lord. He went forward. He rationalized the whole thing. Consider all of what God had done in the past, and now he's moving forward. But how hard was that? How hard would it be for any father to offer up their son as a sacrifice? And think about this. For three days, in Abraham's mind, Isaac is dead. Now, do you see the parallels? Remember, Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights before his resurrection. You see the parallels between the two? in this pageant that's being played out here. At the next juncture, he's chopping the wood that was to be used to place his son on the altar as a burnt offering. Could you imagine that? And probably, I, Dad, what are you doing? You know, kind of a thing. Hey, Dad, what are you doing? Oh, I'm chopping wood. For what? I'm going to offer up this sacrifice. Oh, really? Okay. And then in this we see Abraham not only exercising faith, but working faith, as I mentioned before, figuring out what is going to happen next. What is God going to do to remain a God of his word and his honor? These are the things that he's rationalizing in his mind. For in verse 5, he says, notice, and Abraham said to his young men, hey, you guys stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we, plural, will come back to you. You see, he knew that God was big enough, great enough, powerful enough that, in fact, if he was going to have to go through and offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, that God was going to raise him from the dead. And at least in his understanding, that would be the way that God would remain faithful to his word and also to his honor. You see, Abraham expected a resurrection. He expected a miracle. He knew God is not a liar, that he cannot be mistaken. There's no contradiction in God. And he knew these things. There is power in God. There's wisdom in God, majesty, glory. But there's no contradiction. And Abraham absolutely knew this. So there's only one alternative. What would be the alternative? A resurrection. This is the clear logical conclusion for the giver of life. And it's absolutely compatible with God's nature. Well, that brings us to our fourth and our final point, and that is faith rewarded. 
So if you're taking notes, write that down. Faith rewarded. Okay, now, God did provide a resurrection that is figuratively speaking. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, tells us exactly that. Figuratively speaking, there was a resurrection that actually took place here. If not a resurrection of joy in Abraham's heart, think about that, but in Hebrews chapter 11, here's the explanation, verses 17 through 19, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. And so already in Abraham's mind, there was a resurrection that had taken place. And so that's the figurative explanation being used here. But it wasn't, I want you to understand, it wasn't until the last minute and not before Abraham demonstrated his total willingness to offer up his son Isaac. And we can only imagine what had happened. Abraham is now announcing his mission to his son Isaac. And let me also add, this is no small thing. There was no resistance on Isaac's part. And it's been said that Isaac at this time in his life was between 27 and 30 years old. And Abraham's an old man. He's over 100 years old. I mean, come on. It would have been like me taking my son Bubba, who could pick me up and turn me upside down now. Could you imagine me trying to bind Bubba and offering him up as a sacrifice, but he didn't want to be offered up as a sacrifice? You know, talk about the faith of Abraham, about the faith of Isaac. In this story, many times it gets passed over. Isaac demonstrated his faith here as well. But you can only imagine, he was still feeling all of the feelings and emotions that any father, any parent would feel over the possibility of the loss of a son. And so there was the sobs. There were the farewell kisses. There were the tears. There was the building of the altar. The binding Isaac with the ropes. And then the, finally, and lastly, the raising of the knife. But then, praise God, there was this interruption by an angel. In verses 11 and 12, And the angel cried out. Notice, let's read that. Verses 11 and 12. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And, he, and I wonder how Abraham responded. Okay, here it is. Man, I'm glad. I, you know. I wonder. I really wonder. I believe that he was, he was going to plunge that knife into his son's chest and kill him. I believe that. I'm also positive that he welcomed that greeting by the angel, Abraham, Abraham, in verse 12. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God or reverence God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. In the marriage enrichment seminar, when we were talking about setting our priorities, as a cross-reference, I used that text of scripture. It was in regards to a question that a rich young ruler 
had asked Jesus concerning which of the laws of God were the most important. And Jesus responded, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I made the point in the first message that is in making sure that we prioritize and have everything in the correct order, making sure that God is first in our lives, I made the point, do we really understand what is involved in fulfilling that command and the demand that's made upon us? And we looked at it in relationship to all that life has to offer us. All of the things that would stand in the way of our keeping and placing God first within our lives. All of the things that divides our hearts, you know, from that priority of keeping God in his rightful place. And we went through this whole list and we talked about it. And now Abraham had been proven to be true. Maybe that was the reason for the test. I want you to think about this. What do we have here? We have this picture. This here is the proof of how much a mere man or a woman could do for his love of God. But isn't this the very same thing that God expects of you and of me? May God teach us, work in us, bring us to the same place of demonstrating our love for him to the same degree. I don't know if any of us would pass this test. Never mind your son, just some of the things that that you're taken with or fascinated by, uh, extracurricular activities within your life. Have they taken a priority over your relationship with God? You say, how is that revealed? Well, how much time are you spending with God? I think one of the ways that we show our love for God is by spending that time with him and learning of him. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you, which is a steering device. In other words, God wants to steer our lives along the course of the straight and the narrow. And then he goes on to declare, my burden is easy, my load is light. And he says, learn of me. So that's the way that we fulfill that command, you know, the love of the Lord our God with a whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, 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 and so how is that revealed within our lives? How much time do you spend studying the Word of God? How much time do you give yourself to prayer? How often do you attend a midweek service? Huh. For some of us, we don't at all. For some of us, we're just Sunday morning Christians, really. During the week, how many of us actually even pick up the Bible and read it? How, much, how, much, how, much, how many of us actually have a, a, our own devotional time? You know, These are the ways that we gauge where we are. Are we actually loving the Lord, our God, with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do we understand the implication of that and the great demand that it makes upon us? And this isn't for, like, the pastor. This is for all of us who have taken the name of Christ, you see. How much time are we spending watching the Giants, the Yankees, doing this, that, and the other thing, and watching TV? And How much time are we giving ourselves over to that occupation of knowing God, drawing closer to him, learning of him, studying him, putting ourselves in that position where we can do those things. That's the reason why the church exists. How much time are we actually giving ourselves to those things? 
This is very important. So here is the proof of how much a mere man or a woman would do for his love of God. And so may God teach us, work in us, bring us to that same place of demonstrating our love for him. Holding nothing back. Him first, where we can legitimately claim that God is first in our life. Now, one last thing. As I mentioned before, this incident, this record here in chapter 22, verses 1 through 12, before us, this incident is also a pageant of how much more God would do, in fact, did do, as an expression of his love for fallen men and women. You see, Abraham was only asked to sacrifice his son, but he didn't actually have to go through with it. But listen, God did. You see, Christ's death was real. It was a literal, physical, and spiritual death that achieved redemption for sinners. And I want you to think about this. When God's hand was raised at Calvary, there was no one to cry out, stop, don't harm the boy. Was there? It wasn't. That hand that was poised above Christ, it fell. And Jesus died on that cross. And through his death, God brought life to all who place their trust in Christ's sacrifice. Now, let me ask you this question as we close out our service. Do you know that life? Do you know that life that's secured only through the person of Jesus Christ? Have you received that life? That abundant life, so rich it has to be described in superlatives? It's a joy unspeakable. It's a peace that passes understanding. It's a love eternal. But the only way to get hold of it and secure it is through Jesus. Because Jesus said, and this is the one statement that separates Jesus from every quote-unquote religious person that ever lived. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Remember, that's the question. Have you received of that life? No one comes unto the Father except by and through me. He is the door through which we pass, whereby we receive that life. Now, if you receive that life, we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? It's an abundant life. I I just hope there's nothing that's standing in the way or that's hindering you from experiencing that abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Only you can prevent that from taking place. And so those are the things I want you to consider as we close out this morning's message. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and he said that it's good. And then God made man, and he said that it is very good. 
Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, harvestnyc.org. That's harvestnyc.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than in my father's house.